just a hack. It's just an absolute hack. And he gets his ass kicked by his teammates every week. It's just, you know, it's terrible. It's just terrible. Welcome back here on Hack City. I'm Joe DeLeon, and we are going to be recapping and reacting to all the craziness that happened during week nine of college football. Now, actually, I shouldn't even really call it craziness because I think we can all agree for the most part, except for a couple storylines and a couple unexpected outcomes. This was a pretty quiet week in week nine. And it's also something that we talked about going into the week and had an expectation for is that this week was not going to be very exciting. There were not going to be very many big matchups that had significant outcomes on their conference standings. Next weekend, week 10, is the one where all the commotion is going to happen, where all the big, massive matchups are going to happen. Just off the top of my head, the two big ones that we already know that are going to be going down in the SEC, Alabama playing LSU, and then we also have Georgia playing Tennessee. And that's just in the SEC alone. So today's show, probably not going to be as long as uh, we typically go, just because there's a lot less to go over. Still, some nonsense that happened over this past weekend, talking about that Michigan fight, uh, the craziness and the outcome of the Kansas State-Oklahoma State game. Obviously going to talk about how great Ohio State looked at the end of that game, even though some people t- seem to be bashing them right now. I uh, also want to go over the ACC, everything that happened with that, and a couple other things on today's stream. I have to start off with what is the most important thing to address, which I always come on this on this show, and I say when, when Sean's on it, that whenever I'm wrong, I'm going to admit it. I am always going to come on here and admit when I'm wrong. Just as if I'm correct, I'm going to come on here and I'm going to take multiple victory laps. Now, I got completely dragged, and Sean less than I did, for the takes that I had directed at Kansas State and this uh, Kansas State-Oklahoma State game. And as again, as I said, I will always admit when I'm wrong. And I was wrong about Kansas State. Kansas State came out as if they knew I was bashing them and talking down on them and walloped Oklahoma State in probably the most embarrassing fashion that they possibly could have. I was so far off. Some of my information in that take that I had was also inaccurate. I did not know that Adrian Martinez went down with an injury. But I got to say one thing. Watching, and I think a lot of people who were watching this game that weren't fans of either team did not watch the entirety of it, did not watch most of it because the quality of the game itself was terrible. This was not a good football game. Uh, I turned it off pretty quick, but never. I still was checking the score every so often just to see how things were playing out. And I, when I peeked and checked and, and was also looking at knowing how he performed at the end of the game, I think that Kansas State's offense might be better with Will Howard. He throws for four touchdowns. He almost has 300 yards passing. I know a lot of the offensive success, especially what happened early on, wasn't because of him. It was a lot of what Deuce Vaughn did early on and that huge rushing play that he had at the start of the game that opened things up. But still, I almost feel as if Will Howard does more for that team than Adrian Martinez does. And there legitimately could be some somewhat of a controversy for that quarterback room on who should be the starter. And I think it should be considered that Will Howard, the way that he played against Oklahoma State, which we talked about coming into this week, having some strong parts to their defense, 
the way that he performed, I think that it's fair for him to be brought up into that discussion. I will say this, and I think that I was... Everyone assumed after the, the the takes that I had on the preview show that I'm just a massive Kansas State hater. I, I don't think that that's totally justified and true. I'm actually a really big Deuce Vaughn fan, and I think the the way that he played in this game is just further proof of how great of a running back he is. He is the most unique running back in all of college football. There's really nobody else like him. And it, it, I was thinking about this today. He kind of has shades of what Rondell Moore was at Purdue. And I know that Rondell Moore was a wide receiver. There are similar builds, similar style in which that they've got really explosive agility, explosiveness in and out of their cuts. And I think if you get those performances out of Deuce Vaughn every single week, there's no reason why you can't keep winning. And right now, the way that the Big 12 standings are shaping up, we actually are probably going to end up getting a Kansas State TCU uh, rematch from the game that happened last week. And all the takes that I had, all the bad takes that I had after that game can be potentially proven wrong if they show up and they get the best of them. And the one thing that always happens when teams play each other, when teams play each other for a second time, the team that lost the first time tends to win the second time. It is hard, very, very hard to beat a team twice. That's something to pay attention to. And hell, it might be more beneficial for Kansas State that they lost the first matchup. It's likely far more beneficial that they did not win the first one based on how things are looking to shape up. As long as they win out, they are in a very good position to potentially win the Big 12. I don't think it's likely that they compete for a college football playoff spot. It is very hard for them to be in consideration with two losses and considering all the things that we've talked about on this show, all the other teams that are in competition um, for that top spot that are going to have zero to one losses. It's just going to be way too, too much of an uphill battle, but still a big 12 championship is a very, very big deal for a Kansas state program that is really surging and continuing to get better and better every single year. Speaking of a team that is surging and getting better and better. Ohio State looked really freaking good in the second half and in the fourth quarter of this game against Penn State. Now, I watched the entirety of this one from start to finish, and I was really focused on, on the outcome of this for obvious reasons. And I think a lot of people watching this game were assuming that Ohio State was, or not assuming, but was feeling that Ohio State was exposed. That even if they won that game, uh, a close win over Penn State does not look good. They don't look as you know dominant as they were chalked up to be. I think that even though they won this game by two scores, which is kind of close for this matchup, they proved a lot to me. This game was close up until the end of the game. There were a lot of mistakes that they were making early on that allowed Penn State to hang into it. They were getting killed on the ground. But what stands out to me the most, and I say this all the time on this stream, is that if a program, and if a football team has the ability when they're not having their best day and when they're struggling to surge back and turn a deficit in which they are losing to a multi-score win shows that they deserve to be in that national championship competition and that they're one of the best programs in the country. If you are able to do that when you're not having your best day, you are going to be really freaking scary when you are having your best performance. And the fact that Ohio State has the receivers that they do and the ability to storm back into games with massive explosive plays, 
big catches from all of those guys. And we haven't even really seen much of Jackson Smith and Jigba because of an injury. So you get him back. That entire offensive unit is really freaking good. And I understand that this Ohio State defense let up 30 plus points to Penn State's offense, which is not impressive, except for Singleton, who I speak very, very highly of. They still made a lot of huge plays in this game. The turnovers that they forced early on, and I, I really did believe that Ohio State was going to pull away and explode and dominate against them. And I thought that they were going to end up beating them by 30 points after those two early interceptions that Sean Clifford threw. But they still had, again, very, very strong performance. I know that 30 points isn't great. The last thing that I'm going to say on this, Ohio State was in a very difficult circumstance, and I said this on the, on the preview show. Playing at Beaver Stadium at Penn State is one of the hardest places to play. Anyone who follows college football knows that that place is very difficult to play. If it was a night game, it would have been even harder. For them to come out of this game against an above-average Penn State team, not an elite team, but an above-average team that's probably going to remain ranked until the end of the season, for them to pull out the way that they did in probably one of the most hostile, top 10 most hostile environments in the country during a whiteout, which again, even more tension for this matchup, is again, further proof of how freaking good that they are. It is very difficult. It is a very difficult task, and I... I give Ryan Day credit for him preparing his team properly for this game against Penn State. Now, the thing for Penn State, though, like I, the way that they played against Michigan, the way that they played in this game, the mistakes, the issues that they have, the, the clear talent mismatches that they have across the board are very, very glaring um, in those two games that they have. And I think that how far Penn State has made it this season and how they've looked they are what they've shown that their realistic expectation is three three losses at the end of the year. That they're the third best team in the Big Ten. That they're not going to be competing for a Big Ten title. Obviously, at this point, they are the third best team in the Big Ten. And I almost wish if there was some way. And I don't even know off the top of my head if they play Illinois. And I'm going to look that up. I wish there was some way that we could get a Penn State Illinois matchup. Um, for like a third place battle, because that to me would be really exciting and an accomplishment for um, that would be an accomplishment for Penn State to prove that they're better than Illinois. Illinois, though, continues to surge. I think they're ranked like 13th right now, which is, you know, crazy. I don't think anyone would have expected that Illinois would be ranked this far at this point. Um, the other thing that happened this weekend, and it kind of got swept under the rug, but it, it actually ends up being one of the biggest storylines separate from the fight that happened with Michigan and Michigan State. I'm going to get to that after this. This should be the biggest storyline, but the ACC this year has unjustifiably been propped up as a really good conference because of the ranked teams that keep getting put in the top 25. I'm talking about Florida State that was in it at one point. I'm talking about Wake Forest, which was hovering around the top 10 in various polls. I'm talking about NC State that looked pretty weak this weekend. And on top of that, uh, Syracuse and then the one team that I continue to hate on, which is Clemson. And this was the weekend that all of those freaking teams were exposed. The ACC, and I've said it on this show, is not a good conference. It fucking stinks. The ACC is the one of the least 
skilled competitive conferences actually is the least com- skilled competitive conference of all the Power Five conferences. It is laughable that that Clemson is propped up as much as they are beating these crappy teams on a week-to-week basis. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the fact that Wake Forest lost to Louisville 48-21, to and we know the issues that Louisville has had so far this season. They are a, a mediocre football program this year. I'm also talking about the fact that Syracuse was embarrassed by Notre Dame and let up 41 points, which is disgusting to allow that many points to what is arguably, in my opinion, one of the worst offenses in the country for that to happen. And this is, to to me, the icing on the cake, separate from the whole garbage game between Miami and Virginia with all the goddamn punts that happened. I, I implore you, I implore anyone to go check the um, the box score for that, uh, that UVA-Miami game because it was just punt, 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 punt. Horrible football game. The one thing that is the most disturbing is that Boston College lost to UConn. I have a friend who works in the in the social media department for that football program, and he like sent the final score to me, and, and he sent something to me about it. And I thought he was joking. Like I thought that it was a uh, like some type of a joke that he was he was playing on me, or it was like an old score or something. To lose to UConn which arguably arguably is the worst, if not one of the worst programs in FBS, is pretty pathetic. And for your conference to lose to a program like UConn is extremely, extremely pathetic. So across the board, the ACC is exposed for what it actually is. It is the worst Power Five conference. And I'm praying, praying, that Clemson loses before the end of the season so they are not in contention to play in the college football playoff. I am telling you right now that Clemson is going to get their ass kicked. They are winning football games in messy fashion against bad football teams. None of the teams in the ACC could really compete with any of these other mid-tier programs in other conferences. I I don't think that uh, you know Boston College could match up with with Missouri right now. Those are two of the bottom teams in their in their respective conferences. The ACC stinks and it it should not have as as many ranked teams as it has had th- thus far. We need to start pulling those teams out. Rank Clemson, that's fine, but I'm done with it. Got a couple comments so far. So fire Luke Fickle. I got to say this is a bit of an overreaction because I believe that that Luke Fickle is one of the best coaches in college football right now. The the success that he has produced and the recruiting that he has done at a program like Cincinnati basically got them all the way to uh, the Big 12. They're now a Big 12 program because of the success that Luke Fickle has produced. You have to also consider this with Luke Fickle. He is this season dealing with so many major losses on that roster. Maje Sanders, Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant, Desmond Ritter, all of those guys, like that's just a couple. Like they had a lot of players drafted, which is unheard of to come from a group of five program. How many were drafted? I forget what the number is, but it it was, I believe it was a record for, for a group of five school. It was going to be hard for them to turn around and repeat the success that they had last year. And I said that in my Arkansas Cincinnati preview in week one, where I was 
bashing Cincinnati and saying that they weren't going to stand a chance against Arkansas. Now they played up to the challenge and they fought and they kept that game close until the end of the football game. They had a bunch of mistakes that did end up hurting them, but it was going to be a difficult task for them to turn around after all the players that they lost. We can't be saying fire Luke Fickle just yet. He's got a difficult circumstance that he's dealing with, but still, again, I think that he's a great head coach. Um, ADI saying Clemson gets upset this week. Uh, that's my prayer, LOL. So I actually have a um, a bet with Ryan Roberts, who's my co-host for the draft show, and also the, the first team recruiting show uh, regarding this. And we don't know what the parameters are if Notre Dame beats Clemson. I believe that they're playing this week. I want to double check that. If Notre Dame plays uh, Clemson. Yeah, they're playing this upcoming week. I do hope that they get upset. And as a Notre Dame fan, I'm obviously going to say that. I think that it's very highly unlikely. It would take a really dominant defensive performance to take Will Shipley out of the game and force DJU to do everything. But the biggest issue that comes with this game that is going to be a very difficult task, they're not going to run the football against Clemson's front seven. They're just not. That front seven that they have is really freaking good. And it is the reason why they have won a lot of these football games, except for the performances of Will Shipley. And the only way that Notre Dame can be successful is if they run the ball and they just lean on Audric Estime and Logan Diggs and Chris Tyree. That is the success that they've, they've produced has been through running the football. And I give Tommy Reese credit for leaning on that. But the problem is, is the limitations caused by Drew Pine because he sucks so much and he's not a FBS quality quarterback. If they are forced into any third and medium or longer, they're not going to pick it up. I watched him make countless mistakes against Syracuse alone. That proves to me that he is not going to be up for the task uh, against this Clemson front seven. Clemson's front seven's okay. Like there's nothing special about it. To go up against Miles Murphy and Brian Brzee alone, just those two guys alone, he is going to be running for his life. And the thing that pains me the most with Drew Pine is that the guy does not uh, understand how to properly analyze pressure and, and, and feel pressure. He just sits in the pocket. He doesn't move. And when he does move, he runs laterally. Running laterally is not how you evade pressure. You need to get upfield. You need to produce yards. Drew Pine is going to be a sitting duck this week. Clemson's probably going to win this game. If they get upset, it's probably going to be at the end of the season. But sadly, they're going to be in the conversation for uh, being in the college football playoff. Close one with Penn State. Yeah, really close game that we had one there. And, and again, I was talking about this at the beginning of the show that Ohio State still, I think, showed us a lot of really good resilience and, and effectiveness to keep fighting and then eventually take that lead, uh, you know, a two-score victory in that one. Yeah, Clemson needs to disappear. And, you know, I keep saying that, you know, that they don't need to be in the conversation and I'm sick of them being in the conversation. If I were to give my top five right now, you can go a number of different ways with who the top three are, but I see it as... Tennessee at one with how how much they've just been dogging their opponents. And I want to talk about that in, in a second, uh, that, that Kentucky game that they had. Uh, after that, Tennessee, I would go Georgia at two. And we're obviously going to have to reshuffle that after they play. Alabama, or not Alabama, sorry. Ohio State at three, Michigan at four, and then Alabama at five. I, I don't think that 
those are all the teams that keep getting brought up in that top five discussion. I think there's a lot of reshuffling, and I 1,000% in putting Alabama over Clemson, and that should not be a hot take because Alabama hung as many points as they did and put out a huge performance at a loss against Tennessee. They showed me a lot of really nice stuff, even though that they lost that game. Uh, so Blackstar 15, uh, this was somebody commented this earlier, fire Luke Fickle. So I was just addressing that, which again, I, I think that's just an overreaction, very difficult circumstance trying to deal with the stuff that losing all those players is, is not going to be easy. Notre Dame and Michigan need to start playing each other again. I absolutely agree. I think that that Notre Dame Michigan rivalry is one of the best in college football. It's one of the most underrated and they didn't want to lose out on the rivalries and the advantages of the rivalries of playing Stanford and USC because of the regionality of recruiting. They are a program that recruits nationally and they typically go and get a lot of kids from Northern California and also from Southern California. So you need to maintain those rivalries so that when you're doing recruiting, it's advantageous. You're, you're visible to those, those recruits in those areas. So those have been the priorities. Like they don't need to play Michigan or Michigan state every single year because that's their backyard. They're right there. They get a lot of recruits very easily out of Michigan, uh, out of Indiana, out of Illinois, because it's it's regional. It's the Midwest. But I totally agree. I would love for this rivalry to come back. And I have been one of the few Notre Dame supporters, and I think a lot of people hate my take on this, that thinks that Notre Dame in a few years, maybe 10 years, when conference realignment is done, that they should join the Big Ten. It makes a lot of sense. The regionality makes sense. You maintain the rivalry that you have with USC. You bring back the rivalries that you have with Purdue and that you have with Michigan, Michigan State. A lot of their rivals play in the Big Ten. And it, it would make a lot of sense for them to join the Big Ten. But as we all know, there are a lot of complications in politics that go into um, – those TV deals. And we obviously just saw a TV, massive TV deal happen with the big 12 and the impacts that has. So whatever happens with them in that NBC contract, whenever it's up, maybe it does happen. Uh, I think the, the cover man of EA football is going to be Caleb Williams. Prove me wrong. I actually completely agree with this. So EA is based in Los Angeles here in Los Angeles. And Caleb Williams has been one of the biggest NIL frontmen. Derek King was the first, and then now Caleb Williams is turning into the star of NIL. And he is going to obviously not be able to declare for the NFL draft. And I think in EA's effort to, one, ring in NIL, but on top of that, to take advantage of it properly. You want to have a current star on the cover now that you can actually pay the kid. Caleb Williams would be, would be the perfect guy. The other, maybe Quinn Ewers. That's another guy that makes a ton of sense. I actually, that's a, I really like this question. That's a fantastic question. But Caleb Williams, I think, makes a lot of sense because of the, you know, where the, where he is in relation to EA and how close it is. Um, he's got like a fantastic agent that's been wheeling and dealing and getting him all these opportunities. So absolutely 100% would be a, probably the, the, the first go to choice for the cover of, of college football. Uh, I don't mind the Marvin Harris. I think Marvin Harrison's a good good one to put in consideration, but like we just got to consider, though, the, like how freaking good Caleb Williams is. I think Marvin Harrison, we saw with the Louis Vuitton cleats and him wearing an Apple Watch, like he's got, I think, more swagger than Caleb Williams, and I think it would be a lot more fun to see Marvin Harrison on the cover. Maybe the, they are aggressive, and maybe we get more than one guy for the return in the first NIL cover. I think that that would be uh, 
you know, advantageous for them to try and do something like that. But no, I, I, this is going to be a really fun off season conversation is talking about who deserves to be on the cover and hell I'll do a couple of videos on this. I think that's a really, really great question. Uh, I'm a Michigan fan. As of now, I do agree with Tennessee at number one. Like I said, your list looks good. Well, I appreciate the, the feedback on that. Again, I, I think that those five teams that I mentioned, you can really shuffle the order except for Alabama has to be that fifth team. But Tennessee, Michigan, Ohio State, and Georgia are somewhere in that top four. Maybe you put Ohio State and Michigan in the back half of that. But the question and the debate that's going to be going into this week and the big storyline for the Tennessee-Georgia game is who deserves to really be number one. And whoever loses might actually fall out of that. Or at the very least will be number five. And if Alabama wins, maybe they'll leapfrog whoever loses. There is going to be so much reshuffling in that top five just from the, that Alabama-LSU game and the Georgia-Tennessee game. That game alone is going to have so much impact on the landscape of, of college football and the college football playoff. Both of those football games. Like I, my brain is so locked in on those two games. I don't even know the rest of the slate off the top of my head. So if anyone wants to throw any of those other games in there, like that I'm missing, which I know that I absolutely am. The Notre Dame Clemson game is going to be impactful. But again, I just talked about how Notre Dame is not going to win that football game. Uh, but those two games alone are going to be really impactful for the top five. How about the Buckeyes? We talked a ton about Ohio State again earlier in the show. And if you missed that, definitely go check it out in the beginning. Why I think Ohio State proved that they're really freaking good. You have a bad day and you come out swinging the way that they did. Huge, huge performance for them. I think it will be a fun competitive game uh, this year against the Buck. I hope so. I am praying. And I think that these, these rosters match up so uniquely where Ohio State is explosion on offense, big play receivers. Every single receiver on that roster is a, you know, a massive play threat, as either as a, as a deep threat guy, a really fantastic route runner, as a possession receiver. They have a really unique receiving core that can do so many different things with a uh, with a Buka, with Marvin Harrison Jr., with Jackson Smith and Jigbo when he comes back. There are so many different weapons, and they're putting up so many points. And then on the flip side of that, you've got Michigan, who is – very defensive-centric, but most importantly, they are very run-centric. Donovan Edwards and uh, Blake Corum are the best running back pairing in the country. And it's like a matter of who forces the other team to play up to their level. Who forces the other team to... Does Michigan force Ohio State to grind it out and dominate time of possession? Or is Ohio State forcing Michigan to keep up with their explosive offense? That is going to be a really fun game, and I'm excited to preview that one for sure. Interesting take here saying that Tennessee is going to blow past Georgia 42-24. to 24. I currently lean Tennessee based on the way that they've looked, um, but at the same time, I don't know if it's going to be by this margin. If, if somebody is going to bring that offense down to earth, it's going to be Georgia because of how scary that defensive front is that they have. And they're a team that slows down football games, but they have shown a little bit of weakness recently. Uh, and I, I do want to talk about this before we get to more questions because we've got a ton of them. The Tennessee-Kentucky game has proven one thing to me, just as the Ohio State game proved to me that when Ohio State has a bad day, they're still capable of surging back and winning easily the way that they did. And that shows how scary they are. The fact that Tennessee plays Kentucky and the whole week, and I did, I said this on the SEC preview show that I do with um, with RU Series Sports and and uh, Blake Rufino, that Kentucky like had a legitimate shot to to keep that game close. Tennessee secondary has been very suspect, 
And we know that Will Levis is a great quarterback and they've got some nice pieces. And Chris Rodriguez, man, like they were, they started the game hot, but Tennessee was not fucking around. Like Tennessee was like, I'm taking the top off this thing and we're going to embarrass you at home. We're going to embarrass you at Neyland and we're going to just continue building onto our resume. The fact that they're doing that, that's a, an above average SEC program. The fact that they're doing that just shows how goddamn scary Tennessee is and how every team facing them needs to be afraid. But if we are being realistic, and I just said this, if there is going to be one program that is going to bring them back down to earth, it is going to be Georgia because of their defensive front, because of the guys that they have in their secondary, like Keely Ringo. If they control time of possession, they keep Hendon Hooker and Tillman and Jalen Hyatt off the field for most of the game, and this becomes a low-scoring, grinded-out game, that is how Georgia is going to win it. And again, we're going to talk about that when we do the preview show, so make sure you don't miss out on that because that's going to be a really fun discussion, and I'll obviously be doing that with Sean. One other thing before I get to some more of these questions because we got a lot of fantastic questions, and anyone who is hopping in, feel free to drop any more. Um, I need to point out that USC needs to stop being overhyped. I think no one is talking about the fact that they beat Arizona only 45 to 37 and they gave up 37 points. I have said multiple times on this show that USC's defense is not good enough for them to win the Pac-12 and also for them to compete for a national championship like so many people believe that they could. It was exposed against Utah and it was just exposed against Arizona. Arizona. We're not talking about like if they played UCLA or Oregon. It was Arizona. USC is a good program this year. They have done a total 180, and they're going to be a college football playoff team next season. They're not there yet. We need to stop overhyping them. And like, like, like that's a back half of the, the top 25 team right now. I don't think that they are, are deserving of where they're being placed and where they're being hyped up to be. That is concerning that, that they gave up that many points to Arizona. Um, actually, we already have a comment here about USC. Watch out for USC, especially if they win out with top 10 games in the back end. Oregon and UCLA will be the top 10 matchups. I again, I like I just said, like th that defense legitimately scares me. They've got a lot of play, like great playmakers. There's their receiving core is is obviously really explosive. I don't know what the deal is with Jordan Addison because he got banged up against against Utah. But the fact that they played the way that they did against Arizona, I'm unwilling to commit to them as much as I think everybody else is. There has been an overcommitment to USC, I feel like. And like I understand it. It's, it's easy to buy in when you have a player as good as Caleb Williams and you have uh, Jordan Addison and Mario Williams and, and all those guys uh, on that offense, but their defense is just not up to par. And like I have no faith that they can hold UCLA under 40 points. I have no faith that they could hold Oregon under 40 points. If they get into a shootout the way that they did against Utah, they're going to lose. They don't have the defense to make the stops when they need to on scoring drives at the end of football games. That Utah game, I think, is, is, what, is what to expect. Is The way that they played against Utah is how that they're probably going to play against UCLA and Oregon. They're going to keep it close. I'm not saying that they're going to get blown out or dominated, but they're probably going to play close up until the end of the game, and then they're going to give up a long scoring drive at the end to lose the football game. Maybe, you know, I know that they play UCLA, and I think like that is 
that is going to be the key determination of if that defense can show up and play. And if we get the good version of that USC defense, it, it might be a very different discussion. Um, UNC versus Ole Miss on a neutral field. You think Ole Miss dominates. I'm just really wondering if the ACC is as bad as you feel. Not saying they're not bottom power five, but not far off from the Big 12. I think on a neutral field, Ole Miss b- blows them out. I know that Ole Miss has had their issues over the past couple weeks, but as bad as UNC's defense has been and inconsistent has been, like I love Drake May. Like Drake May is going to be in the conversation for a, a, a top 15 draft pick when he declares. And I, I don't know off the top of my head which class he would declare in because he's either a red shirt or a true freshman. I think he's a red shirt freshman. But outside of that, like I don't think there's many redeeming qualities. I just think a lot of those teams those ACC teams are unbalanced and a lot of them are very, very inconsistent and they one week will look explosive and dominant. And then another UNC will play the way that they did against Notre Dame and give up a ton of points to an anemic offense. That is Notre Dame's offense. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that old miss again, as much as they've been struggling an sec schedule is far more of a gauntlet than it is to play against UNC. It just is. I think Oregon could sneak into the playoffs. I don't think TCU can sustain this type of football. Yeah, I actually said this this earlier when I was talking about how there's a possibility for Kansas State to play TCU again. It is statistically, I don't know the odds of it, but it is just from having played football at the college level, to play a team twice in a season is difficult to, be, to win both times. It's very, very difficult. More often than not, the team that lost the first time wins the second time it is very very likely you know unless there is like a a fat skill gap and you know you you got blown out the first time and one team's got like a a dumpster fire roster but if you've got two evenly matched teams like tcu and kansas state there is a likelihood that kansas state is going to win the second time so that's going to knock them out of contention i totally agree like i'm a little concerned about tcu as fun as they are and as you know, as much of a meme as they've been, and as much as fun of a story that's been to follow, Oregon looks really freaking good. And I one thousand percent am not holding Oregon to the way that they played against Georgia against them. That was a very difficult circumstance to have to do that in your first game for Dan Lanning and for Bo Nix to face Georgia. There is a much higher likelihood, I think, that Oregon makes it in. And I think that it's it's the conversation we need to start having. Give me a one-loss Oregon team over a undefeated Clemson team. Should not be a debate. Let's be real. Georgia's offense is trash. Georgia offense is throw to Brock Bowers, no matter how many people are covering him. Yeah, no, I mean you're 100 right. Like the, it's a lot of it's a lot of inside zone. It's a lot of like short um, between the tackles running, and then a lot of screens to to Brock Bowers. They don't really have the guys to stretch the field. They just, they don't. And Stetson Bennett doesn't have the arm to stretch the field. What is going to win them that football game is what I was talking about earlier. If you dominate time of possession, if you're Georgia and you dominate the time of possession and you get a lot of key stops, get a couple turnovers, which we all know that that five-star loaded defense is going to get some turnovers in that game, is going to get some sacks, going to get some huge stops against Hendon Hooker. If you're able to do that a couple of times and then you just grind out the clock and you keep this, uh, I don't know what the, the over is going to be on this game, and I'm curious to see. If you keep this under total points for both teams 
under 50, maybe even under 40, you kind of need to get closer to probably under 50. You're going to win that game. It's very, it's a much higher likelihood that win that game. What scares me in this circumstance is how bad Tennessee secondary is. They have, and I don't know where they now rank after the way that they played against Kentucky, but going into the Kentucky game, they had the second worst uh, yards per game, pass yards per game allowed. And the team behind them was Ohio, and Ohio gave up like 600 passing yards, 530-something passing yards to Fordham, which is an FCS program in the Patriot League. And I know like I we we talk about how much we love Tim Damarat, but the fact that they're in that conversation with Ohio, and I know that they're obviously not comparable, the talent level is different, but the fact that they're that close to Ohio concerns the shit out of me. Like that really, really concerns me. Are they actually capable of slowing down splash plays from from Georgia? Like, can they cover Brock Bowers? Like, I don't think that they can. As much as that is predictable as that offense is, it's working. And if there's a game for him to really ascend and really take that next step, it's going to be this one because they don't have the bodies to cover Brock Bowers. They just don't. If you if you take him out of the football game, I think it's a completely different story. Um, Brock Bowers, best tight end college football time, of course. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think I think Michael Mayer deserves to be in the conversation. And he's not getting talked about a lot because of how bad Notre Dame's offense has been and just how underwhelming they've been overall. But like, if you watch these football games, the offensive production is slants to Michael Mayer and then carries up the middle to Audric Estime and, and Logan Diggs. He is their best receiver right now. He's the only guy that's making plays uh, through the air is, is Michael Mayer. But, you know, I totally agree with that. Brock Bowers has been fantastic to watch. Tennessee is amazing this year, but I do have them close against Georgia. Maybe 24 to 27, Georgia on top. I don't know, but a fun game ahead for sure. See, like that. There's like the the two parallels of like how this thing is going to play out is like that 24 to 27 game um, where Georgia wins or it ends up becoming like a shootout where Tennessee wins by 10 points and it's like 35, 45, something like that. Those are the two ways that this ends up playing out because again, stylistically, very, very different programs because one is air it out, take the top off. The other is a little more grinded out, quick throws to to Brock Bowers, uh, you know, running it as as early and often as possible. Those are the two possible outcomes that we're going to get with this. Um, they beat Arizona without Addison Gentry and Andrew Voorhees. It's still solid. It's a solid win, and it's proof that they're good on offense, that USC's good on offense. And what I was talking about earlier, like I didn't say anything negative about them offensively. Like I, they have one of the best offenses in the country. Like statistically, they're not turning the ball over. Caleb Williams, despite dealing with a really bad offensive line in front of him, makes a lot of really nice plays. And like you're talking about here, like even when they don't have those guys available to them, and I think you also said that the Mario Williams wasn't available for them to put up 45 points. You know, that's great. Arizona stinks, but like for them to put up 45 points, like that's a great offensive output. That is a true proof of how prepared they are on a weekly basis offensively. But I am so scared about how they are defensively. They can't win shootouts. They're just not capable of doing it. They can't get the stops that they need. They are giving up and relenting huge offensive performances to the best teams that they've, they, they've played against, which is mostly Utah. 
And the fact that it was Dalton Kincaid who did all of that in that game, it scares me. And I am worried about what is going to happen when they play against two really, really explosive teams in Oregon and in UCLA. USC will lose to both UCLA and Oregon. I, Before I speak further, I want to pull up the schedule that they have. Because I know that they play UCLA, and that game is, is at the Coliseum. They do not play Oregon. So their following schedule is California next week, Colorado the following week. They play UCLA the 19th, and then they have their rivalry game against Notre Dame. And they're probably going to smoke Notre Dame because Notre Dame does not have the offense to keep up with that team. They absolutely do not. But if they've played Oregon right now, I, I absolutely do feel that they Oregon would beat them. And if maybe hypothetically the, the path for them to play Oregon would be they beat UCLA and then they play Oregon in, in the Pac-12 championship game, neutral site, give me Oregon in that matchup. USC defense is horrific. Lincoln Riley needs to fire his defensive coordinator. Uh, dude is not good. Alex Grinch, uh, I don't want to give him too much blame because just the talent-wise on that defense, there's not a lot of really good players. They've got one linebacker, and I'm completely blanking on his name, that transferred from Alabama, who's a decent football player, but they are, are really crap defensively. I don't think it's at the point where you need to fire Grinch now, uh, and I, 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 it might be just a little too reactive to do that. I understand the sentiment to want to get rid of him, but make that decision after next season. If they're having defensive problems next year after they get another cycle in the portal where they're probably going to dominate, and also when they get some time to develop some of the young players that they've been recruiting that were part of the previous recruiting classes, that's when you need to make the decision. If they're playing as garbage as they are with all those players that they get in a new cycle, then absolutely fire Alex Grinch. But it, you got you to understand the circumstance there. It's, it's just a difficult Difficult for them to turn around, for Grinch to turn around and immediately have a really, really good defense. He's a good defense coordinator. What, if any, chances are you giving LSU versus Bama this weekend? Nobody is talking about it. Could be this week's upset sleeper pick. I actually, we talked about this on the SEC kickoff show with Blake, and Blake's an LSU guy. Uh, he covers LSU. He's from Louisiana. And he was saying that there is a legitimate shot here for LSU to, to win this football game. And I totally agree. LSU has been on a, a really nice path like gene daniels and i talked about him at the beginning of the season like he, he's the perfect brian kelly guy he fits that offense perfectly does enough as a passer but is going to win games with his legs like he if if brian kelly had a gene daniels at notre dame they would have been on a completely different level for the time that he was there but all the guys that he had were undersized and their arms were middling gene daniels is great i love gene daniels and the way that he has played so far this season i think it's very likely and what happened against Tennessee for Alabama's defense could happen in this game. Like there's a lot of shades and similarities between Tennessee's offense and LSU's offense. I'm not saying that it is a one-to-one -one comparison, but LSU is like, like a C version or a B minus version of Tennessee's offense. They're explosive athletic quarterback. It, it's like Walmart. Gene Daniels is Walmart version. Hendon hooker. He's hard. To, he's hard to tackle. He's going to make a lot of plays on the move. He's going to make a lot of throws on the run. Uh, and we know how freaking good that receiving core is. If Kayshawn's in, playing in this game, which I don't think there's any reason why he wouldn't, they can put up a lot of points and they can put up a lot of yards. I honestly say the way that Jalen Hyatt was utilized against Alabama where they just kept testing him over the top. 
can can you can you stop our fastest guy? If we're going to keep connecting with him over the top, we're going to keep freaking running it. And that's exactly what they did. I'm saying you do that with Keishon Booty. Bute, Booty. I, I never know the correct way to pronounce, pronounce that. Freaking run that as many times as possible. You're going to produce the results uh, because Alabama has shown an, an inability to stop that. I think that it is it is very, very possible. Where is this game played? I want to see where this is played. This is at LSU too. So like that even more helps LSU in this circumstance because we saw what happened when they traveled to Tennessee and Death Valley is is a one of the hardest stadiums to play in just as much as Neyland is one of the hardest stadiums to play in. Absolutely. No, 100%, 100% I think that is it is possible. And the craziest part about this is that if LSU wins this game, there's actually a path for them to play in the SEC championship game. The way that they have recovered is, is fantastic. And I think that Brian Kelly is as – a former Brian Kelly hater and a hurt Notre Dame fan, I am willing to to put my chips in on on LSU and that they are a surging program. Uh, Oregon has to play Utah, who plays extremely physical, and I doubt that Oregon wants that physicality. It depends on what the situation is with Cam Rising. He did not play against Washington State, and I admittedly off the top of my head do not know what his health situation is. He was dressed and he was on the sidelines. I just don't know what the injury is, what the deal is, why he didn't play. If he's available, I really like it. I, I know that um, that they also had some running back injuries as well. They've got like some of the biggest backs. Like They've got like dudes that are 6'2", 230. You're 100% right. They are a very physical program. It just depends on who wins that shootout. Like who, who can, and I fully believe that that is going to be a very, very high scoring affair very, very high-scoring affair because of the weapons that both of these programs have. And I am a very big Dalton Kincaid fan after seeing what he did against USC. He is somebody that if you're Oregon's defense, you have to target and you cannot let him be one-on-one with one of your slower backers. Like Noah Sewell needs to be covering him or Justin Flo needs to be covering him the entire game. You cannot let a defensive back cover Dalton Kincaid. Otherwise, he's, he's going to do what he did against USC. He's going to do it easily. I think Bama is likely to win, but this could be a trap game if everything goes right for LSU. I really agree with this with this point, and this is what I was just talking about. If everything goes right for LSU at home, 100% is a trap game, and Alabama might be pushed out of that top five conversation. Yeah, Talking again about Oregon is physical. Uh, not as physical as Utah. Utah bullied them twice a year ago, and it's clear that Utah uh, is in their head. I don't disagree with that, but it is also a new season. And if anything, also a new coaching staff for Oregon too. Completely new program. I'm sure some of those guys and the and the the guys that are still on that roster hold resentment towards Utah that they want to win that football game. And the juice that they have right now puts them in a position to win. That to me is going to be a total pick 'em. And I'm curious to see what the odds are. And I'm sure whoever's home is going to be the one who's favored in that game. I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, I know, Dustin. I know I need some stuff on my walls. I know I, I actually, I just added, I put my book bookcase there, but nobody can see it. I, this is the worst bare wall that I freaking have. And it, I don't know, maybe it's just an overanalyzation of uh, not overanalyzation, overthinking what I should put there. And also a laziness on my part. But yeah, I know I need something on my wall, Dustin. I, you're 100% right. Uh, 
I am not putting any Michigan stuff on there as a Notre Dame fan. And honestly, as an admitted Michigan hater, despite how much positively, positively I've spoken about them, uh, I am not going to get Michigan stuff. Honestly, shit. And I know no one's going to do this. You send me anything. I'll put it on the wall behind me. Anyone who sends me anything, I'll print it, freaking put it up. As long as it's not uh, pornographic or inappropriate, I will put anything up on that wall. I, I, I don't care. I, any, anything is better than nothing. And I totally agree. I, I am in the process of getting, getting some better stuff. Uh, question here with the season they're having in the incident in Michigan, could Mel Tucker's tenure be coming to an end this year? So this is a, a total cluster fuck like this. This is bad. Like this is legitimately bad. I think that there is now a possibility that he does get fired. There was an overcommitment for Tucker riding off of success for them to, to give him a fat contract. And he benefited from the fact that his name was being brought up in openings at other positions. Like I believe he was brought up in the LSU opening, but like there were all these openings where he was getting brought up and he used that to his freaking advantage. His, he's got the best goddamn agent out there. And we're learning that he might be a little bit of a fraud because they did not lose that much. The only thing that they lost was one man by the name of Kenneth Walker. And he clearly was all of their offensive production. Yeah, they have been completely exposed. But that incident that you're referring to, the fight that broke out, I read the story on it, and the way that Mel Tucker handled this is very problematic. The way that he responded was basically, I don't know what happened. That's not the answer you have. If you're the head coach of a program and you beat the sh and your team beats the shit out of two Michigan guys that were basically dragged into the locker room um, in, a, in like a 10-on-one situation that could have gotten seriously dangerous. Like, someone could have really gotten very hurt. And I, I think that one of the guys broke his nose that was in that fight. If you haven't seen the video, go look at the video. The only way to answer that is those players are being punished and we are taking the necessary courses of action. They're they're separated from the team and we're going to investigate and figure out what happened and we're going to make a decision. That's the only way that you handle it. But I, the quote that I read off the top of my head, I don't remember exactly what it was. He basically said, I don't know what happened and we'll figure it out, which is so noncommittal, which is so defeatist. And it's total bullshit. Like, it's absolute bullshit. That's not how you respond to something like that. It is very possible. For a program that just committed big money to him, and it's kind of like the Jimbo Fisher situation, if you're trying to fire a coach after you're now on the hook for guaranteed money for a long period of time, you can get out of that with cause. And if you can prove a lack of institutional control that you've got dudes doing shit like this, you absolutely can fire Mel, Mel Tucker. I'm not saying that with 100% guarantee. I do not have a legal background, so I can't necessarily speak on that. But we have seen stuff like this in the past, and I'm sure that it would go to court and there would be arbitration and all that shit that would go into it. I don't know if anyone here has a legal background. But if you have the cause, it is going to make that conversation easier. And it also, they won't be on the hook potentially for, for the amount of money that they are on the hook for. Uh, don't know, but it's a bad reflection on uh, his angry face the whole game. I think that's in relation to Tucker. Yeah, it's definitely bad for Tuck. Tuck is definitely going to be there next year. Uh, buy, yeah, his buyout's like $80 million. I think he was one of those guys that, that got one of those like 10-year, $100 million deals. It was a massive, massive deal. But it just all comes down to what the buyout is. Or, or not buyout. If you can prove cause of lack of institutional control that he's not able to control his players. And that this is pretty good proof. Like this is the most, there's video of his team ganging up on him, beating the shit out of a Michigan player that looks like he was dragged in from the field. While all the Michigan players were still celebrating on the field, 
that one guy just happens to be there. No, it's it's bad. It looks really, really bad. And I, I believe that that Harbaugh was actually trying to get the authorities involved, which makes it even worse. So, you know, a big, big issue here for, for Mel Tucker. Uh, he will stay at least until the end of the year if they – yeah, and it's one of those things where, like, you can't just fire him off the rip. Like, to to fire him and then try to get out of having to pay him – all of that buyout money, you're going to need to do a lot of digging to prove that he doesn't deserve to get paid. Like that's what it's going to take. And I, I, I don't know the fullest extent of all this stuff because like I'm not a lawyer and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know this stuff. I just know that there is precedent that have been that has been set previously by guys getting fired, and not that we have never seen anything like this. But guys have gotten fired off of proof of they can't control their guys and everything is being run rampantly. And it's something that's being brought up right now with Jimbo Fisher. Do you think Ohio State's defense is elite? Uh, You see guys getting more comfortable in the system. Turnovers are coming in bunches these past few weeks. I think that they're absolutely elite. And I said this at the beginning of the show. It's hard to play at Beaver Stadium and to have like a perfect game. I am a little bit concerned seeing the way that their run defense played in their first legitimate test because Penn State's offensive line is really good. It's one of the best in the country. Statistically, it's one of the best in the country as a unit. Um, And Nick Singleton is a supremely talented freshman running back who is only going to get better. They had a really good performance overall running the football. And that was what kept Penn State in this game as long as they did is that they were running the ball really well and that was opening up big plays for Parker Washington. It was a bit of a downhill spiral. There are parallels to be made between Penn State's rushing attack and offense and Michigan's offense. And Michigan's offensive line and run game and running backs are better. They're more experienced. And J.J. McCarthy is a far more dangerous quarterback than Sean Sean Clifford. Way more dangerous. Sean Clifford is a lot more weathered. He's got a lot more experience, which is, you know, scary for its own reasoning. But the impact that he can have on the run to extend plays, all of that stuff makes him more of a threat in this game than Sean Clifford was. So they are going to need to step up in this game and play much better against the run against Michigan. Like that is going to be the determined. That's what this is going to come down to is how well do they play against Michigan's rushing attack. That's going to be extremely important. I know people are worried about our corners, but they are a young bunch of freshmen and redshirt freshmen. Yeah, and I almost, like, again, the big game here, like, the the rest of their schedule is what it is. They're going to win out until they play Michigan. The big game here, again, is going to come down to how they play against the run. Like, I'm not really scared of... Michigan's passing attack and they're probably going to try and take some shots at those freshmen but they know that their bread and butter is running the football and they're going to look at this tape and say okay we're going to do exactly what Penn State did we're going to run a lot of the same concepts and just attack their front seven if they can't stop us we're going to keep doing it and that is what now is a concern for I think should be for Ohio State is putting that on tape putting that performance on tape is going to make Jim Harbaugh and that whole Michigan offensive coaching staff extremely exciting, excited and, and salivating over the opportunity to go up against that 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 uh, that team. Mel Tucker could go back to Auburn with Deion Sanders as a welcome. Um, 
I'm not sure if you're saying if he could be the head coach at Auburn or if he joined Dion's staff. I mean, it's possibility, but they would just need to hope that uh, you know he gets bought out of that contract. Uh, Tuck is not coming. That not another comment about Tuck. All right, I think that's going to be it from us, for me rather. No Sean today talking about the stream. A great stream for participation. Really appreciate everyone hopping on. I need to slowly figure out how to properly set this up or because everyone always comes in on the end and the beginning when I do my opening segment, nobody's not as many people are tuned in, but uh, maybe I'll just open the stream and not hop in until, until like 10 minutes in and kind of let people hop in and such. But as always really appreciate everyone who, who came on to talk and um, we'll be back with our preview show, our tape preview show during the week. And we'll be doing another recap on Sunday. Hope everyone has a wonderful rest of their weekend. Enjoy Sunday night football.